Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James. I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame laid a smackdown on Stanford on Saturday, and the calendar has quickly turned to transfer portal season in South Bend. On Monday, three Notre Dame graduate students announced their transfer portal intentions, starting center Zeke Carell, starting wide receiver Chris Tyree, and reserve defensive end Nana Osafa Mensa. More will come as we start monitoring, monitoring possible transfer additions for Notre Dame as well. With an eye on the transfer portal and the upcoming early signing period, we wanted to catch up with Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course, guys. Adam, just starting with the Notre Dame guys that have entered the portal, I think probably two are among the the two are more popular than the other than Nana Osafa Mensa. So who who do you think will have a better market for them? Zeke Carell as a two year starter starter at center or Chris Tyree as a speedy wide receiver, former running back return man. Yeah. The, the feeling is that the offensive line portal class might be a little weak. So there might be a lot of market for offensive linemen. So that will be interesting to see Um, the way that the portal is already trending even before it's opened is that everybody's going in again. So I'm sure that there will be a lot of offensive linemen, especially backups guys that, were expected to start that didn't will probably get a lot of attention um and also i think we're in sort of a situation now where uh if if the offensive linemen and the people around them um, who were considering it know that it's a weak market they could get a lot more nil money from that and they might go they might be encouraged to go um when when others would probably stay so i think that that will definitely happen chris Tyree will definitely have a market though that that speed that playmaking ability will be needed by a lot of schools. Um, a lot of new coaching staffs that are coming in will want guys that have that spark. So, so both should be pretty uh, well marketable going in, but uh, uh, for Notre Dame fans, don't take offense to this because if you only have three so far, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> I, I think they'll be way deeper than three when all this is said and done, depending on how many they're bringing in, I think it could be close to 20. But we'll see. Um, Adam, what is foremost on my mind, besides the quarterbacks, and I'll get we'll get to that in a minute, is the dynamic of this year's portal. Do you see NIL driving this any more or less than last year? And then in terms of volume, do you expect more or less than last year? Yeah, I think at quarterback, NIL is actually driving it more. Um, we saw the story about Cam Ward this morning the Washington state quarterback who has 10, $1 million deals already um, from, from schools around the country. So there, there's definitely going to be a market for that. Um, I think that you see Kansas state's starting quarterback goes to the portal um, yesterday. That was uh, at least to me, semi-surprising. So you're going to see a lot of movement again last year. I think we got around the 1400 number 1500 portal guys I would ex- expect that to to balloon higher. Um, before the portals even open, there are over 300 FCS players in it. Um, that's FCS. So th- just think about what's going to happen. Uh, we have a, a text thread going for our portal team, and I'm on it. Yesterday, there were 180 portal moves that we counted. That we counted. That we and I'm sure that there were some that we missed. And the portal opens Monday. So these are guys that are jumping in even before it opens, intends to transfer is sort of the, the moniker of the day. 
Um, but once this thing opens, once new coaching staffs come in, once all of those things are settled, I, I would suspect it gets above 1500. And as Eric alluded to, the quarterback market is one that Notre Dame is interested in. Marcus Freeman has been open about the the need and want for another portal quarterback. At, usually for Notre Dame, that means a graduate transfer, but um, we'll see if they can pull off an underclassman. Who who are the most intriguing quarterbacks this year, maybe that are already in the portal, or there's rumors that will join the portal? And do you think that overall market will be as talented as it was last year? Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely going to be an interesting. It's it's definitely going to be interesting because there are already some that are in there um, that are going to have a, you know a lot of priority. And 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 as Notre Dame fans know, you know Sam Hartman came in, and uh, you know even if you rented him for a year, as Dave Clausen likes to say, um, still uh, did did tremendous things. But I think Will Rogers is going to be a name that a lot of people watch transfer out of Mississippi State. Um, which was a little surprising because the coach coming into Mississippi state is sort of running the offense that he would love to run, but um, he's looking for a fresh start. Tyler Van Dyke is absolutely going to be a name. The reason he's going to be a name is because a lot of people around college football think Miami's coaching staff sort of ruined him. Uh, He had been playing phenomenally well and then just sort of fell off a cliff. So if he's looking for a really fresh start, um, that could be an interesting name. Brendan Sorsby at Indiana is a very talented kid without a lot of talent around him. I think that's going to be an interesting name. Max Johnson at Texas A&M, you know, was the starter there, sort of lost his job as, as he got hurt. That will be um, also an interesting name. Tyler Shuck, Hank Bachmeyer is a guy that's bounced around a little bit, but does have a lot of talent. Spencer Petrus at Iowa was a kid in high school who broke Jared Goff's passing numbers and then obviously goes to Iowa and they have 24 and a half point over unders there. So he's not exactly going to be developed as an elite player. Will Howard as another one, Kansas state starting quarterback can run it can throw it. Uh, maybe throws a little too many interceptions, a little risky. That will be an interesting one. And then Jake Rubley, the backup uh, at Kansas state, it seems like Avery Johnson is going to be the future quarterback in Manhattan. So that's another one. So there are plenty of names already in, um, that can factor into Notre Dame's uh, portal recruiting. Um, but, but a lot of other schools too, are going to get guys that have a lot of talent and a lot of playing time left. My comment before I ask my question is I think Hank Bachmeyer would get more play in the portal if he had an animal name like his little brothers, but yeah, two, two brothers, bear <laughs> and tiger. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, as far as Notre Dame, and the quarterback market of those players that you just listed off, do you perceive any of them as better than Hartman when he came to Notre Dame um, in terms of quality of prospect? Yeah. Yeah. That's the interesting thing because Sam Hartman was so good at Wake Forest and so productive and sort of fit exactly uh, you know, what he was looking for at Notre Dame. I think the one that I would watch the most would be Tyler Van Dyke because from a talent perspective, um, you know, two years ago, we were talking about him as potentially being not only a first round pick, but one of the first quarterbacks taken. Um, You know, we had kind of gotten gut punched um, on his high school ranking because we didn't have him ranked high enough. Um, And then his career just really just sort of fell off a cliff at Miami you saw at the end of this year, he really just sort of lost confidence. 
if you asked him off the record, I almost think he didn't want to go into those games. I mean, it was just not a great situation um, there for him. So he got out of there. But I think in terms of talent and in terms of a guy who has like that competitive nature, who wants to show that he can actually play at the highest level and could back it up with his ability, I think it would be Van Dyke. Adam, one name we are monitoring as a potential name of interest for Notre Dame that hasn't entered the portal as of yet is Riley Leonard, Duke's quarterback, with obviously Mike Elko leaving Duke. That opens the door for maybe him wanting to transfer somewhere. What what do you think of Riley as a quarterback, and, and where would he rank among potential transfer guys? Yeah, definitely an interesting one to watch. Like you said, um, you know, two years ago, and this is, I've, I've sort of written this about Elko, very good coach, fine hire by Texas A&M. Um, but, but two years ago, you know, he was a guy who uh, went nine and four at Duke, went seven and five this year, Leonard got hurt. And then, you know, all those kinds of things happened. Um, but he is, he's definitely an interesting name to watch. I don't know which way Duke is going to go. I don't know if there's been a hot board, what names have been floated out yet. Um, but he is a guy, Leonard, who not only is competitive, but could be looking for um, for a new home. It is very – I don't think he's as productive as Sam Hartman was at Wake Forest, but he certainly um, is sort of following that same path, a lower-level ACC school that he kind of made really, really good um, and now might be looking for a new opportunity to close out his college career. So – um, you know, I think that is definitely a name to monitor and to watch and should be, you know, a perfect fit in what uh, Notre Dame wants to do on offense. So, Adam, I'm asking you this from the outside looking in two dynamics with Notre Dame's quarterback market. One, do you think how Sam Hartman played this year helps or hurts them in the quarterback market? And do you think Marcus Freeman's initial decision to retain Jared Parker helps or hurts them? Well, uh, the second one first, I will tell you that I think college coaches will recruit against that decision. So what they'll basically say is like, you know, look at Notre Dame's offense with Parker. Uh, you don't want to go there. You want to come here and hear the reasons why. Um, but I do think, you know, and, you know, you know, Hartman, uh, you know, had better stats at Wake Forest for at least in the last two years. Um, but they threw the ball a, a ton more. So, I mean, he had he had 900 and more than 900 attempts in his last two seasons at Wake Forest. He had 301 this year at Notre Dame. Still put up decent, uh, decent to strong numbers um, running that offense. So I think that portal quarterbacks will look at what Sam Hartman did at Notre Dame in his one year there and say, I can do that or better. And that will be a great option for me. But I do, but I definitely think that college quarterbacks and some quarterbacks might be reserved um, just because of the reputation of Notre Dame wanting to run the ball more. And because of Parker being retained, I think that will be recruited against the Irish. Adam, I wanted to talk about ranking portal players. Uh, last year was the first time, the rival staff took that on as a, as a major project for sure. What did you guys learn from attempting to do that last year? And uh, what, what is the takeaway from this first cycle? Do, will, and, and how much will the results from last year's players sort of impact how you uh, go about ranking players moving forward? 
Yeah. The, the thing that I think we most learned was that it's harder to rank portal players than high school players. Um, <laughs> the reason is, is because you sort of know what you're getting. You sort of know what you're getting in a high school player um, in terms of pro- at least your opinion of projecting him uh, to the college that he's going to uh let's you know let's take a quarterback who struggled or lost confidence now put him into an offense that's going to run the ball more what what should we rank that guy you know it's like it's it's really difficult to do that um so so you really just you know you do your best in terms of watching all the games kind of understanding who these players are getting a collection by position looking at their stats and then even even more than a high school guy kind of ranking him on the program that he's going to uh, kind of projecting how the new portal guy is going to fit that is even more of a more of a like a consideration in the portal rankings but really when we come down to it it's really the same thing expected college performance and where we think they're going to get drafted in the nfl so uh, that really is, is, is the same thing. Um, DJ Uyunga Lele at Clemson probably did not help his draft status, uh, going to Oregon state he did. And so he was higher in the rankings, uh, maybe than some other ones did, but it is very difficult and it's also constantly fluid. So in high school, we know that the 2024 class are these kids right. in the portal. We have our ranking of 500 kids. And the next day, 300 more go in, and then we have to place them within that ranking. So, the, But it's also very crucial because now at Rivals, we have the blended ranking um, of portal guys and high school guys. And, and that needed to be done because there are teams out there, and you see them. You can see them already forming. Uh, guys, if, if your team has nine commits right now in three weeks before signing day, four weeks, you know that that coaching staff is going heavy portal. So we wanted that reflected in the recruiting class because it's intentional now. Um, It's not just picking up a transfer here or there. There are coaches out there that are using the portal basically to recruit a recruiting class. Yeah, I I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, Just even on Notre Dame's team, Jean-Baptiste and Thomas Harper really got opportunities more than they had at their old schools and blossomed with those opportunities. And yet Antonio Carter didn't. Um, Yeah this year. So that, that's really difficult. A couple of positions I think Notre Dame is going to be aggressive with is defensive end and wide receiver beyond quarterback, obviously kicker too. But is there anybody that you see as a grad transfer that you think would be a good matchup? I mean, this early um, with who you know is going in at those two positions. Oh man. It, it, and that, and that's the thing is, uh, the receiver position is still a little light, um, but there there will undoubtedly be um, a, a lot in there. Um, you know, the TJ Sheffield kid from Purdue is an interesting one. Uh, the, Purdue's uh, top receiver, I'm, I'm his Bur- name escapes me, just went in. Burks Burks went in today. I think that's an interesting one. Raymond Cottrell is a very talented kid who was at A and M. Um, who could be who could be one to watch? Um, basically, Purdue's entire receiving core went in. Um, so 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 that's where you know you you sort of start. 
But I think in terms of receiver, you're still going to wait a, a little while um, to get going there. The two that I think are interesting for Notre Dame that not only fit from an academic perspective, but also sort of a, you know, a, 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 a bull mentality on that defensive line would be the two Ivy League kids, Joey Slackman and Thor Griffith. They're uh, from Penn and Harvard. Those are guys um, that really were productive in the Ivy League and that are looking for an opportunity uh, to kind of come in and make an impact. And I think, I don't think getting them into school would be all that difficult. And then I think getting them on the field wouldn't be all that difficult. So I think those are two to watch. Um, but then again, this is just starting. The portal doesn't really officially open until Monday. There will be a plenty more to pick from uh, starting then. So, the, so those would be the guys that I would start with, though. You better get your sleep, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Do what? What are your thoughts on? I think I'm curious, will every year there be a good wide receiver market or do you think there'll be cycles? Like, do you think there'll be certain positions that every year there'll be good portal options uh, or will there be sort of like a cyclical thing where it's like, well, this year they were light on offensive linemen and this year they were light on this year, but then there might be good, good and bad years for, for those positions as well. Yeah. I think, I think just like in regular recruiting, like there are some years that were like, man, this class is really loaded. And then some years were like, this class is not nearly as good. And then some years were like, God, the quarterbacks in this class, we could go 10, 15 deep. And then some years you're kind of just putting together, um, you know, a few five stars that you, that you kind of have to project just because the NFL is going to take somebody. Um, but, but, you know, look at that wide receiver class last year, Adonai Mitchell has been hugely impactful at Texas. Tez Walker, once he got on the field at Notre Dame. Uh, Dominic Lovett, Jaheim Bell, a, a kid at Florida State who's been huge. Keon Coleman. Um, Florida State didn't have either Bell, who was huge in the game against Florida, or Keon Coleman, who could be one of the top wide receivers taken in the NFL draft. They didn't even have them on their team at this time last year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, I think I think that wide receiver group la uh, last year was really, really strong. And it's starting to shape up like the quarterback group could be really, really strong in 24. Um, we will see if, if a lot of them just kind of jumped in early just because quarterbacks go early and try to find places early um, or if a lot more are going to go in. It will be interesting uh, to see what happens at Texas. If Quinn Ewers comes back, which is, is, which is expected, uh, does Malik Murphy just sit another year and then hope uh, he can beat out Arch Manning, which is probably unlikely. I've heard Ohio State has been kind of knocking around with him a little bit. Um, it, 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 it will just be interesting to see if, if a lot of these guys who were sort of expected to go to the draft uh, don't. Um, and, and partly because they're already making NIL money. I mean, one of the jokes that's kind of going around college football is that a lot of these quarterbacks would take pay cuts if they went to the NFL. So <laughs> Um, so I think that will lend to some people coming back and that could open up the transfer market even more. When, when you said, uh, Ohio state was knocking on the door, did you mean Murphy or Manning? I think folks might be interested. Murphy, Murphy, okay. yeah, Murphy. I wanted to make sure that, that we got that clarified because people might hear that and maybe like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? So yeah, I, just yeah, to get I, that I don't think, I don't think. Going. <laughs> All right. Or Tyler and I probably disagree most with Notre Dame and portal positions is offensive line i think tyler 
thinks Notre Dame should look at that. I think if I'm Emil Wagner and some of these other guys, I'd say, what the hell, you know, because I'm a high four star and I'm being developed. Why not me? I'm, I'm wondering, do you think there's somebody worthy if Alt goes, which we think he will, that you could plug in with the tackle or even interior? Do you, what would your philosophy be with all those four star guys on their roster? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing you have to, you have to have that delicate balance of like, you know, I, I trust that this guy hasn't played a lot yet, but he's better than the Texas tech guard who's in the portal or the uh, you know, the, the kid that just went in um, from Southern miss, who's been getting a lot of looks Jerquan Scott or the guy uh, from New Mexico, who is is going to get a lot of attention. So you almost have to balance this trust that I recruited well. And yes, he had a, you know, he struggled in practice the first year, but he's also a first year guy other than I'm going to go to new, you know, go get New Mexico's uh, offensive tackle and hope that um, he's better. I'm always sort of suspicious about that because blocking guys at Utah state um, is a lot different than blocking guys at Notre Dame's practice. So uh, there is definitely a balance. Certainly coaches are intrigued by going to the portal and looking for quick fixes. Um, but there's a lot of talent that, that hasn't played yet uh, coming up at Notre Dame that you're almost like, let's take a shot on these guys before we go out and take a shot on a guy we don't really know. Adam, I wanted to switch directions and talk about recruiting for a little bit. Um, you have written quite a bit about Kingston Villiamuasa this season. What has impressed you so much about what he's been able to do as as a linebacker out there at St. John Bosco? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Recruiting. I mean, high, <laughs> high school kids. I mean, <laughs> how two thousand twenty of us? I mean, uh, he is awesome. I love him. I think he's going to be phenomenal at Notre Dame, and he's a guy that I think can get on the field very very early in his career so he completely fits exactly what they want to do at linebacker there uh he's smart he's a great leader a great teammate he's going to shut up and listen uh the people at bosco and they have division one guys every single year say he's the best defensive player that they've ever had in their program um incredibly mature um just just phenomenal in every way i think notre dame fans uh, I'm going to hint here. We'll like the rankings that we release next week in terms of of where he lands. Um, and and he had a phenomenal senior season. And it's not like he's uh, swallowing up every single play because Bosco's defense is no good. I mean, Jordan Lockhart is committed to Texas A&M, and Kamari House is committed to Washington. That's the linebacker core there. So, and among that group, Villiamuasa is clearly. Uh, the best one. So he's just a guy that's going to make a ton of tackles. He's going to be in, in space. He can play in space. He can run sideline to sideline. Um, and he's just going to be a playmaker for you guys. I think he, I think, you know, three or four years down the road, and, and I hate to make these sort of projections, um, but he's going to be a guy that people absolutely love on senior day. Hope doesn't leave after three years and really is sort of a crowd favorite over his time in South Bend. Adam, I got two guys I want to ask you about. One I think you've probably seen, and one I doubt you probably have seen. The one you've probably seen is Logan Saldate up in Northern California. Yep. How camera-ready is he as a prospect? Then the other guy I want to ask is a guy that I can't butcher his name or Tyler will laugh at me, Bodie Cahoon from Virginia, who has put up 
cartoon numbers in every game. I mean, seriously, it's like 22 tackles, 17 for loss, 85 sacks. You know, I mean, it's every game it's like that. So either his mom is the statistician or this guy might be really good or the competition in Roanoke is awful. So yeah, on those two guys. Yeah. So, so when it comes to Saldate, I think, you know, what you're getting there is just speed. So whether you put him in the slot and run him down the seam, whether you put him outside, whether you throw sort of a bubble screen to him, you're just going to want to get the ball in his hands and let him run. I, that, that's really, um, that's really his entire game. So he was a kid in high school and, you know, there have been some quotes from uh, his coach that, you know, they threw away from him a lot, just sort of as a, a decoy. They didn't want to use him um, all the time like that. And he was fine with it because he was such a great teammate. So I think in terms of that stuff, in terms of maturity, he's going to be very, very good there. But he's going to be a guy who I wouldn't be shocked was sort of on punt return, kick return, came out of the backfield, in the slot, sort of all over the place, just use his speed and playmaking ability uh, to make things happen. Bodie Cahoon is a guy who I think all of the things you said, Eric, were are true, um, uh, except for his mom being the statistician. I don't yeah. know if that's true. Uh, <laughs> but he's not playing great competition. Um, but what he does is he just has this ability to track the football, run, get after it, find spaces uh, that he can kind of creep through and make plays at. So sideline to sideline, he can run. Um, he can get into the backfield and make plays. And, and I hate the term nose for the football, but he's just always around it. He always, he always seems to be making plays. So that's whether in the backfield, somewhere on the field, I do, I will say that, you know, it's pretty easy to make sacks when there's blown offensive line coverages and he could just kind of run unencumbered into the backfield and hit somebody. A lot of his tape is that stuff. Um, but I, I also think he has just a knack for being around the ball and making plays. Adam, last one from me, C.J. Carr is obviously the high-profile quarterback in Notre Dame's class. Um, he's been on the fringe of four-star, five-star status. I don't want to give away any of your uh, upcoming rankings reveals, but what did you see from C.J. Carr um, as a senior this year? Yeah, and and so, you know, I, I'll say this. He's not going to be a five-star, um, you know, and that's not and that's not ripping the kid. He's obviously, you know, really highly ranked and well thought of. Um, you know, had, had a, a very good senior season. I think he threw for about 2,750 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions against that competition. I don't really love, but a lot of kids in high school kind of trust their arm more than they should. And then they'll dial it back. What, what you get with Carr is, is what, what I think Notre Dame people are expecting. He's not going to be flashy. He's not going to be make the, just the highlight throws every single time, but he's going to be smart and he's going to get the ball to where it needs to be. So, so that's, that's what he is. Very solid quarterback, obviously comes from a great pedigree. And, and what I like the most about him is that he didn't really play games with his recruitment. He committed early. Um, Notre Dame took the commitment early. I mean, we could rehash this, that they sort of took that commitment knowing that they'd probably lose Dante more when they took it, they took it anyway. So they really like him. Um, so not, not a lot of flash, uh, but a whole lot of substance, and I think he's going to be well-received in South Bend. 
Well, all right, Adam, that's all we have for you. I'm sure there are probably a hundred more guys that have entered the portal since we started the conversation. So we'll let you go (laughs) and uh, including one from Notre Dame, Uh, but we'll, we'll let you go. And we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of a new promo we're offering for InsideIndieSports.com. We have a 30-day free trial available to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to Inside Indie Sports. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Inside Lounge message board. You don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. We'll see all the transfer portal rumors and rumblings um, that we're hearing there. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. When you sign up for a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com, you can also find a link to this deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one I have for us is from at Irish Blue Devil. Why are they sticking with Jared Parker? It's very obvious where the struggles were, and there was nothing in his remarks and comments over the season to suggest. He knew what those issues were and how to fix them. Well, I think there are two examples in Freeman's own past, recent and otherwise, that heavy, heavily influences decision. One is the Al Golden example. Um, Al Golden got a late start in 2022 because of a Super Bowl commitment with the Bengals. And he was much more of a force and the players were much more attuned to his system having some continuity for two years in a row. And you look at the numbers they put up this year and they're far superior with a lot of the same players than they were in 2022. Um, And prior to Al taking the job, they had three systems in three years. The other is Marcus himself in his first year as defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. That was 2017. The Bearcats were 94th in total defense, scoring defense, rushing defense, 113th in pass efficiency defense, and 100th in third down defense. In 2018, listen to this, they were 11th in total defense, 9th in scoring D, 13 rushing D, 13th pass efficiency D, 5th and third down. So incredible improvement across the board. Um, however, is that a comparable parallel the a big difference with Marcus's situation that you don't have with Parker at Notre Dame is Luke Fickle who was the head coach was the defensive backstop he was a guy that had been a really good defensive coordinator and who had great defensive backgrounds and could kind of be there as training wheels until Marcus was ready to take off himself Parker doesn't have that at least at this point at Notre Dame, he doesn't have something comparable. And that's where I think it's a bit bigger risk with them retaining him. Yeah, we we talked about it on Football Never Sleeps. I, I don't think the golden comparison tracks for me. Um, right. It's but it, it, the, the continuity, I think, is a thing. I mean, he obviously believes that Jared Parker can grow and be better. And and I I think that is fair. Like, I think that's fair. If you, if, if Marcus Freeman believes that, um, then he's going to have to deal with the consequences of that. If it, that isn't the case. Um, so I, I don't, I do think like to the second part of the comment here from Irish blue devil, I don't Jared Parker. He, 
he, I don't know that he articulates himself well. I, I well, I, first I should say I don't know that I do, so I don't don't want it to come off as like super judgy. Um, but if you read the transcripts that we put together from our interview sessions with him, it, it's kind of all over the place. Um, it seems apparent to me that he is aware of the perception of him. And sometimes he's like fighting that while trying to answer a question. Um, even if that's not the question that was asked of him. Uh, so I, 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 I'm curious to see how he develops and progresses in on that front. Um, because I, I think, I think the perception of Jared Parker might be different if sort of the way he discussed things were a little bit different. I don't know that it would change that massively because obviously the the results on the field are what matter the most. Um, but I don't know that like he's been able to describe things in a way that have given folks of like, okay, I understand what he's trying to do here, or um, I can see why it didn't come together on, on Saturday based off of what he discussed in the, in the, in the weekly press conferences that he ha- that he has with us. Uh, next question is from Burton Sharp at Second Childhood. Did the three offensive players join the portal because Coach said he is keeping the offensive coordinator? Not even close. And I, aren't there just two offensive players? Correct. Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two defensive players. Uh, one when he asked the question, who was Nana Safa Mensa, and then Aiden Kiana Aina has joined the transfer portal brigade, which again, I think that number is going to grow significantly here. Just based on the numbers Notre Dame needs to get down to, there was only seven players with expiring eligibility. You're not going to have a ton go to the NFL. Um, And so bringing in 23 recruits, wanting to bring in a handful of transfers, you're going to have to have some transfers that are outgoing. And uh, and Marcus has done the math. Yeah, and I I don't think the... I, I don't think Zeke Carell and Chris Tyree waited to hear what Marcus Freeman said on Monday in his press conference about the coaching staff to, to make their decision on joining the portal. So I, I don't think those are related. Could, could Chris Tyree want to find a different offense that he feels suits him better? Yes. I think that is fair. Um, but I don't think it's specifically because of Jared Parker and the way Jared Parker tries to use him this season. I think it's just, um, Mostly, I mean, they have other slot receivers, and so he can't be sort of like the guy um, for Notre Dame next year, I don't think. Um, And I think he's looking for an opportunity to be that somewhere else. All right, next question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Reading between the lines, Freeman said he didn't reach out to the current UNLV offensive coordinator, and he wants everybody back. Number one, did he specifically say he wants everyone back in their current roles? Number two, couldn't he have reached out to another coach? Number three, could Parker get pressure to resign as offensive coordinator? Okay, do you want me to answer all three of these or do them one at a time? Um, let's do them one at a time. I don't know that I might have this. I might have the same answer as you, so I might not add much. But let's just do a, let's do them one at a time. I don't know that he it, in the three times he was asked about Parker and assistant coaches that he ever specifically said that, but it, I thought it was implied that everybody was going to be back in their current roles, and certainly he. Um, it was drilled down that, and and very much implied Parker was going to be the offensive coordinator because he was asked why, right? What he saw in him and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I mean, unless you were to flip roles, like say Gino Gadulli becomes the offensive coordinator and Jared Parker, I don't know, because I guess just because goes back to being the tight ends coach. Like you can't bring in an offensive coordinator. Everyone 
in addition to everyone keeping their roles, like someone would have to lose their job because you, there's only there's a limit in the number of coaches you can have. Um, so I it, I don't think it mattered if he said that it, like explicitly, like every coach will be back in their specific roles. Um, number two, couldn't he have reached out to another coach? Again, implied. I don't know that he was specifically asked that, but no, he was only specifically asked about Brendan Marion, the UNLV coach, and who he didn't know who he was. But um, so I, I guess it's conceivable. I, I, it doesn't feel like from what he, how he talked about the staff meeting that he had just before he talked to us on Zoom, that that was something that you know, could have been drilled down on and, you know, I mean, you know, somebody could have, I guess, asked if you, did you reach out to any other offensive coaches? And he could have said, who? So, again, I think it was implied that he didn't, that he had made this decision. Yeah, it doesn't, It you either need a new offensive coordinator or you don't. I don't think you'd base the decision on who else is out there as offensive coordinator because, the role at Notre Dame should be attractive enough um, that you don't like, why would you need, like, why would you need to see if the UNLV offensive coordinator was interested in the Notre Dame job? Right. Yeah. Like, like that just doesn't track to me. Like you would need to know that before he made a decision on Jared Parker. Like that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, So I I don't think Freeman's going to be reaching out to coaches before making that decision on Parker. Um, I think if he, if he wanted to move on, he would have moved on and then then started looking for offensive coordinators, especially for someone that like they have a personal relationship that which goes back years. Like it would be pretty it would be pretty bad for for Jared Parker to find out like, oh, while I was still the offensive coordinator, you were talking to other coaches about replacing me. I, I don't think that would be a good yeah. look for Marcus Freeman. It's like it's like deciding if you want to stay with your wife, but you're calling your old girlfriend. <laughs> right. And then the third one could pressure could Parker get pressured to resign? I, I guess I'm wondering from Coffee Dark Roast from who, um, if he means pressure from, you know, message boards and Twitter and, uh, you know, people putting for sale signs in his yard or something. No, could um, Jack Swarbrick or Pete Bavacqua get involved maybe after the bowl game? I suppose I don't see that happening. I think had they really wanted to make this conditional about how the bowl game went, Marcus wouldn't have been so forward with his. Yeah. He could have just said, we'll make uh, the decision after the bowl game. Yeah. Like, yeah. He was, he was pretty straightforward and this is the direction he felt they were going to go. And I, like in that scenario, if the athletic directors were pressuring, they would be pressuring Freeman, not Parker. Like, Hey Parker, will you right, just right. step yeah, down yeah. here? Like, yeah, no, no, be- you are the job. You're the boss. Yeah. You either fire me or, or I'm staying yeah. here. Like you, you don't pressure me to resign like that. I, I don't think that's how that would work. All right. Uh, next question from Marie Biafore. And I included this because I think Eric skated when we, she asked about it earlier in the season. Um, Marie asked, uh, and that's at Biafore underscore Marie. Now that the season is over, can you please give a season ending grade for each coach? Assuming what Marcus Freeman said about wanting to keep all the coaches was more coach speak than truth. Can you predict if each coach is more or less likely to be at Notre Dame next year? Okay. I'm happy to do the grades right now because if we had done them in September, the grades would have been different. And I like doing it at the end of the year. I like giving the students a chance to do extra credit and make up and 
bring me an apple and all that stuff. So I'll I'll do it by grade and then who the coaches were that I um, put in that. And then I'll also do at the same time, Marie, you're more or less likely. So the A pluses, Golden and Mickens. And I would say if Golden is here, Mickens probably gets an opportunity. If, if Golden leaves, then Mickens is, probably stays and has a chance to be either the defensive coordinator or assistant head coach. So Golden more than more than likely to leave, Mickens more than likely to stay. With just a straight regular A, I gave it to Chris O'Leary, and I give a lot of credit to this next one, Al Washington, and then Max Bola, uh, the graduate assistant linebackers coach. I would say O'Leary stays, Washington stays. Bola's probably going to get some opportunities, and especially if Golden leaves and they bring in a new defensive coordinator or Mickens gets elevated, I think he probably will have an opportunity to be a full-time coach. Uh, a minus, I gave McCullough, and only because of a couple of situations. I think it's really difficult to make five running backs happy, have a guy that I probably should give him a higher grade, but I'm I already stuck with the A minus there. Um, you know, having Audric estimate have the year that he had. Um, I would say McCullough maybe more likely to leave just because the offers that he gets are so good every year. I know that he likes Marcus and Notre Dame, but he does get some incredible offers. And if he gets one where he can be a coordinator, I think, you know, that helps him put him on a fast track to being a head coach. I think he would like that. B plus, I went with Gino Gadouli and Marty Biaggi. And I would say both of those guys are back. Gino was one of the harder guys to grade because Sam Hartman didn't turn out to be maybe what everybody had hoped. And yet I think Gino Gadouli did a really good job and was put in a really difficult position of having to learn the offense with Sam Hartman, a new offense. Um, B's I gave to Rudolph and Stuckey. And I would say Rudolph and Stuckey will be back. Stuckey will, people will probably try to pull him away from Notre Dame, but I think he'll stay. And then I gave a C to Jared Parker, and uh, I would have given the better odds that he was not in the same role before Marcus came out yesterday and said it. But now that he said it, yeah, I think he'll be back. Did you include Marcus? Okay, I did not give Marcus. I will give Marcus a B plus. All right. I, I, when I should have thought about this sooner, but I think what we probably should have just said at a coach and then both give our grades. It might've been easier to track the differences between the two of us, but so I'll go one by one through mine. I just had, I didn't group mine like Eric did. And then oddly enough, I don't think this was intentional, but the four coaches that I think could possibly leave are the four highest, <laughs> highest uh, graded coaches for me. I have Al Golden at an A plus. I have Mike Mickens as an A. I have Chris O'Leary as an A minus and Dylan McCullough as an A minus. Uh, Al Washington with a B plus. Marty Biaggi with a B. And I wanted to note, like, uh, I did this uh, exercise during Notre Dame's bye week. Um, I don't remember if it was the second bye week or the first bye week. I think it might have been the second bye week. Um, or no, it was probably the first bye week. And I had Biaggi low. Um, and then the Notre Dame special teams started making a lot of plays between uh, now and then. So that's an example of how grades can fluctuate. I think I had him at a C minus. 
Um, I think, and and with the lowest grade uh, at that point. Um, Gino Gaduli at the B, Chancey Stuckey with a B minus, Marcus Freeman with a B minus, Joe Rudolph with a C plus, and Jared Parker with a C. All yeah, right. I mean Marcus, he does a lot of difficult things like dealing with NIL and recruiting and stuff. He does them really well, and I think the game day stuff. And maybe this decision with Parker pulls him down with his grade. Um, Because it's interesting, as I look at the failed regimes and the successful ones that I've covered at Notre Dame, Marcus checks different boxes than all the other coaches. And he has a different set of circumstances, too. But, But definitely his strengths are and his weaknesses are very different than, let's say, Charlie Weiss and Tyrone Willingham. All right. Next question is from at Bleachers Bobby. Do you think the seeming decision to bring Jared Parker back as offensive coordinator could be a defining moment in Marcus Freeman's tenure? Next year is year three. This year felt like a dud. I think hiring someone with more success slash experience would be prudent. And I wanted to point out to Bleachers Bobby. I think he asks us questions regularly. Uh, he, he called him Gerald. It's Jared. <laughs> uh, I think I see a lot of people uh, calling Jared Parker by different names, but uh, so um, just wanted to point that out. Uh, I, I, I just, th- I just think it's disrespectful to call someone by something that's not their name. So just a heads up. Like Cody Bahoon. <laughs> Cody Bahoon. Yes. Okay. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we saw with the Brian Van Gorder hire with Brian, Brian Kelly that almost destroy his head coaching career. So the a bad hire and a bad retention can really affect you as can positive hire. Certainly Harry Heastand was an incredible hire by Brian Kelly and the Elko Clark Lee lineage that followed Brian Van Gorder and then Marcus Freeman were all super positive too. So yeah, and, and especially as you get to year three, which has been such a defining year in the history of Notre Dame coaches. Now, again, does year three, is it different now because of the portal and some of the other things that are going on? Or is year three still going to be a very um, telling year in terms of how this is going to turn out? Uh, So, yeah, I do think that um, this decision is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that that was a big reason why I thought it might be something else than what it is, um, yeah. just because it was it, it is. If it works, Marcus Freeman is going to, I think, probably earn a lot of benefit of the doubt in future hirings and decisions. Um, if it doesn't, I think he puts his job in jeopardy going into his fourth year. So um, I think the stakes are pretty high on this offensive coordinator decision. Um, and maybe there are some things that they can go do going into next season that to help better prepare Jared Parker to, or to give him more resources in terms of analysts on the staff to help him out or, or give him more meaningful or more, uh, better opinions than, than what he was giving us this, this season. I mean, by and large, if you look at Marcus Freeman's had to make a lot of hires and he's done a pretty good job for the most part, but one bad one can really kill you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't I don't think retaining Tommy Reese was a bad decision, but the offense wasn't good. Um, and so the offense two years in a row didn't really meet the expectations for it. 
Now, maybe we had just had too high of expectations for the offense in year two with Sam Hartman. Um, but I, I think the, the fact that they played the way in the games, the biggest games of the year, is something that you can't you can't sort of live down. All right. Next question is from at Mike Devoy one. Uh, if Joe Alt sits out the bowl game, who do you think starts at left tackle? I can't imagine they'd move Blake Fisher over there since Billy Shrouth is relatively new at right guard. Is Stanford's front seven that bad or has the offensive line prog- progressed that much? I think what their plan is with 2024 may influence who they would put in there. You know, I think hasn't Tosh Baker been plugged in there whenever they brought in the second teamers, Tyler? Yes. And so that seems kind of logical, although he hasn't been working with, uh, you know, the, the ones very much. Uh, he came in as a, jumbo blocker in the nc state game i would say baker wagner or fisher seem like the logical group to choose from and again if if they say boy you know what wagner's been on the right side all year we think he's our future left tackle they may make that decision if they've talked to blake and his contingency on staying is moving to left tackle they may do that because they do have almost the equivalent of a spring practice to get ready for the bowl game and to, mm. to get somebody ready. But I guess I would, would go Baker. The, the weird part about Baker is he could end up in the portal. Um, when you look at the numbers game and him maybe having a chance to start somewhere next year, if he doesn't think he's going to be the starter here, he could be in the portal and not play in the bowl game. Yeah, I, I would think Tosh Baker's portal status could have a lot to do with whether or not Blake Fisher um, stays or goes um, in terms of the NFL. Um, if 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 Blake Fisher is playing in the bowl game and Joel isn't, I think I would move Fisher over to left tackle and let him play there for a game um, and then put Tosh Baker in at right tackle. That would be my plan of attack um, if I were in charge. All right, uh, at Steve go forth five. How, oh, I guess I should add uh, the the second question is Stanford seven front Stanford's front seven that bad or is the O line progress that much? I don't think Stanford Stanford's front seven is very good. Um, I think the game plan in the running game was very good, um, and I think Joe Alton Blake Fisher played at a very high level. Um, the interior line played okay, um, but got the job done, and I, I just think uh, things sort of worked in Notre Dame's favor with the momentum of the game and the way Audrick Estime was running. Yeah. I mean, he could have had Tyler and me blocking, and I think <laughs> he was going to get at least 200 yards. <laughs> uh, our next question is from at Steve go forth five. How would, how good would Xavier Watts be if he had only focused on playing safety for his whole career? I think he'd be better in coverage and he was excellent this year. I think we would have seen that earlier because he was, an instinctive tackler and uh, had a good nose for the ball. But I also want to say there's something about the struggle and the unselfishness that drove him to be as good as he is too. You know, he didn't have any catches as a freshman wide receiver. Nobody in that group did the 2020 receivers, which included a five-star and Jordan Johnson and, uh, and Brunel, uh, Jay Brunel. Uh, None of those guys had catches. And then, he was kind of on the fence about being moved to safety. And then he had a chance to move back and said, you know what? I, I want to stay at safety, but you know, he, 
I think he really strongly considered transferring after his first year and stayed at Notre Dame and took the bumpy road. So do you lose any of that if he was always a safety? If he always was on that yeah. track, you lose that struggle that made him such a strong person. So I'd say, I'd say I think if I were Xavier Watts, I wouldn't go back and redo it. Yeah, and like if he were a safety as a freshman and didn't play, would he have stayed too? Because I think the allure of like, hey, you have a better option somewhere else is like, yeah, well, this is unproven. I don't, I don't know that I can't be a good safety yet. Whereas if if he wasn't a safety, whereas as a as a safety, he sees the guys ahead of him. Maybe he's like, I I don't I don't like this. I don't want to do this. So, so maybe he doesn't stick around. I, I, that's too hard to say. But if we're just taking it on the face value, if he'd had more time to be a safety, um, I think he would probably be even better. Um, I would argue, I, I don't know that his stats would be better. Like it's just too, I, and that's not a dig at Xavier Watts. I, he could be twice as better of a player next year and not have as many interceptions. Like look at Benjamin Morrison. Is Benjamin Morrison a worse player than he was last year? Oh. No, but the interceptions just don't come. Like sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And Xavier Watts was in the right place a lot this year. Um, so I, I, I I do think he would be he would be better with more time at safety, but I don't know that necessarily he would have like a some sort of statistical breakout. Um, with which... Ben Morrison, I always say, look at the other guy's stats. Look at the guy that he was defending. And right. Look at the stats for the game. All right. Our next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. If you could add one near miss person to the 2023 team out of the following, who would it be and why? And if you added that person, would Notre Dame's record have improved? And Charles gave us some. Options here with Keon Kelly, Keon Keeley, Dante Moore, Peyton Bowen, and Andy Ludwig. Man, I love this question. I want to have a beer with Charles W. Wolf. That was <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to come up with that question. Um, I will put them in order of who I would have taken on this team in this year. For the long term, it would be a different answer, maybe. Right. But I put Andy Ludwig first, and I do think. Notre Dame's record would be different. Utah didn't have as good offensive numbers as Notre Dame, and it wasn't close. But Utah also didn't have the material um, that I think Andy Ludwig would have brought to the big games, I think, would have made a difference. Number two, I would have gone with Keon Keeley if he was healthy and progressing. It was implied kind of in the summertime that he wasn't completely healthy. And then Mid-year, Nick Saban got asked about why he wasn't playing at Alabama, and he just said, you know, there's better guys in front of him, and he needs to keep progressing. So if Keon Keeley was as good as we thought he was going to be as a freshman at Notre Dame, that would be number two. Uh, Peyton Bowen, number three for me, just because the safety play's been pretty darn good this year. And then I would have Dante Moore last. Dante Moore started very strong for UCLA. He ended up 81st in the country in pass efficiency. Yeah, Andy Ludwig is the choice for me. I think you wanted to see if the offense would have had more answers um, in those big matchups if he were the offense coordinator, someone that has the experience at that position, um, even if the Utah's offense didn't really pan out the way uh, they wanted to this year. I, I don't think the defensive freshmen were going to make a significant difference on a defense that was already great. Maybe Keon Keeley could have added some pass rush stuff there. Um, so I probably would have had him second. Um, I, I mean, I don't think Dante Moore was going to play, so I think I would probably put him at the bottom and then put Peyton Bowen third. Um, so that's how I would look at those guys. 
All right. Our next question is from at Jeremy Lamb 19 relative to expectations. When he signed with Notre Dame, do you think Angeli is currently better, worse, or the same? If the answer is better or the same, and the team doesn't believe he's good enough to start, why was he signed? Um, I think he's better and maybe significantly better. Um, and why did they sign him? I mean, it was an interesting cycle. I think there was a third quarterback involved here, but Tommy couldn't pull the trigger on Drew Aller, who early in the cycle wasn't ranked very high and then shot up the rankings at the end. And and Tommy was pretty indecisive about it. By the time he really decided to go all in on Aller, uh, he was already um, he was already firmly moving in Penn State's direction, and then he almost slow played Angeli so much that he almost lost him. I, I give Tommy a little leeway here. That class was hard to evaluate. There weren't camps and stuff going on during that time because of COVID when those guys were, you know, being evaluated and 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 would have been taking visits and so forth. And and then Angeli only had one year as a starter in high school. So um, I think that's the backstory there. Yeah, I I would say that he is a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, you, you need to sign a guy in every class, a, a quarterback. Um, this isn't who Gino Gadouli signed, um, or even Marcus Freeman, for that matter. This was who Tommy Reese signed. Um, so it's not their current choice. Um, and I think there's a difference between being good enough to start and being the unquestioned starter, right? Like I think Notre Dame would could go into next season believing that Steve Angeli is good enough to start, but they also believe that the room needs the competition to find who is the best for them going into next season. So I think um, t- both things can be true. Um, but I also think that Notre Dame isn't sold that a hundred percent. Like Notre Dame can reach its full potential as, as Marcus Freeman always likes to discuss if it goes into next season with Steve Angeli as sort of the unchallenged, um, starter, but besides the guys that are younger than him that are incoming to the roster. All right. Next question is a similar topic from Mike Hewlett at Andy Hewlett. How do you feel the quarterback room is with slash without a portal transfer? And who transfers if we get a portal quarterback? Um, I think they understand how college football works now. And I, I definitely think Angeli and Minchie were very happy that Sam Hartman was there for them to learn from. And as far as having another one come in, uh, I think they understand that there's going to be competition. Um, so, but if somebody were going to transfer, I would say Angeli would be the most likely because there are teams that probably think he could start for them. Minchie would likely incubate wherever he went. He would sit here and try to learn and jump Angeli and jump the transfer quarterback. If he went somewhere else, I doubt that he would be handed the keys to the car and, and let him start. Yeah. I think Notre Dame's quarterback room gets better with a transfer and without one, it has a lot of questions going into next season. Um, and if it does, if Notre Dame does get a portal transfer, it would be Angeli. Angeli is the most likely to transfer. I think he could be sold on a chance to compete with the incoming transfer, depending on the the caliber of it. Um, like if it say maybe if it's Riley Leonard, I think it might be harder to convince him that he can beat out Riley Leonard than someone else. Um, so I, I think 
he might he he would probably want to know who that guy is before he makes makes a decision on whether or not he's going to enter the portal unless he's already convinced like hey these guys aren't giving me a fair shake I'm going to get out of here which is kind of what Drew Pine did. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. If either Will Howard or Tyler Van Dyke wanted to come in uh, to Notre Dame, would you take them? Why or why not? And I think Marie tried to add Cam Ward to that uh, conversation. I think I saw a, a note from her on Twitter this morning. Um, I would take a look at all those guys. Uh, Adam Gorney kind of sold me a little bit more on Tyler Van Dyke. I mean, in his case, if the Miami staff broke him, and, and that certainly makes some sense, his second year of college, he was outstanding. His pass efficiency rating was way better than it has been the last couple of years. And you think you can fix him and you understand the reasons why he was broken? You know, I would look at him. Will Howard has some dual threat ability. He did throw a lot of interceptions. His pass efficiency rank is lower than uh, Sam Hartman's and and lower than Drew Pines the year before, but he did average 4.3 yards a rush and nine rushing touchdowns. He's 6'4", 235. You know, on fourth and one, third and one, is that a pretty good option to have? And then Cam Ward is kind of in the middle. You know, Tyler Van Dyke isn't dual threat at all. Cam Ward is kind of middle ground with that. Um, you, you would think with better players around him Kim Ward would really blossom uh I would take a look at all those guys yeah I agree I, the Van Dyke one I think is tough um my understanding of his struggles is that he's not a great like reader of the defense um he wants to make one to, like either the first decision is there and he's ready to make it or then he sort of gets beyond his depth now can you make him can you teach him to be better and beyond that um perhaps um but I think that's a, a tougher sell um, I, I, I value the guys that can have some mobility. Um, I'm a little bit w nervous or worried about what Notre Dame's offensive line is going to look like next year. Um, so that could bring some added value to someone like Will Howard. Um, he, uh, isn't the most accurate thrower, so that's not a great thing either. I, I think there's all these portal quarterbacks, I think have some holes in their game. Um, and so I, I think that it's going to be tough. Cam Ward is certainly very talented as well. Um, so I, I think I would entertain all of those. I don't know that I would, I, I I've yet to make a decision like this is the guy I think right. it, of ones not included. I think Riley Leonard is probably the most enticing to me. Um, yeah. but, but in terms of the, the three that are mentioned here, I don't know that I have a, a favorite, maybe Cam Ward. Um, and then maybe Will Howard and Tyler Van Dyke in that order, but I, I don't know that I, that would be order, but again, last year everybody was talking about Hudson Card about this time, and Sam Hartman wasn't even thought that a thought that he was going to jump in there. And then when he did, a lot of you know, this is going to change. We'll have a different conversation in a week or two. Yeah, and I, I you need the experience in the room. That's why you make the decision, even if that guy loses the job. I think I think you you have to take take that chance and bring a guy in. All right, next question is from at Dan Quinlan. Can you talk about NIL dollar ranges by position and compare them to the money for NFL late-round picks or undrafted free agents? For examples, you might use Sam Hartman 2023 Notre Dame versus 2024 NFL or Chris Tyree 2024 NIL in college versus if he went to the NFL and made a roster. You know, Adam Gorney alluded to the quarterback market a little bit. 
Uh, there's a, another website that projects NIL numbers or NIL value. And I'm told those numbers are super inflated. I, I think it's more rumor. I mean, you, there's not a clearinghouse of real numbers where you can go and research this and deal in facts rather than rumor. But I also want to remind uh, Dan that um, a lot of this is driven by school and brand, you know, the uh, what school you go to, also individual personality, social media presence more than anything else. For example, my youngest son and his girlfriend both do video ads for companies. And my son gets paid by how many he does. And my son's girlfriend gets paid because she has 750,000 TikTok followers and she's an influencer. So their whole market is different. And I think that's the same thing. If you have somebody with a strong personality, good looking, has lots of followers on social media, they're going to get more money than somebody that doesn't do social media at all. Yeah, I, I don't know the numbers on NIL. I think a lot of no, I don't think many people know what they are. I think a lot of us uh, are theoretical um, in, in many cases. Um, but I did look up some NFL numbers just to give a, a, a base. And I think, I think uh, Adam mentioned that there were a million dollars of uh, sort of being a, a mark that Cam Ward was had an X number of schools supposedly had offered him a million dollars. So if we use that for a baseline of a million dollars, and I think that's probably specific to quarterbacks, quarterbacks are going to always drive the most money. I think that's it's the same in football, NFL and, and, and college. Um, so I took a fifth year fifth round quarterback from last year maybe sam hartman could be a fifth year quarterback round quarterback i don't know that he will get drafted that high and so i have a seventh rounder as an example as well um i picked one of arizona cardinals drafted clayton toon in 2023 he was set to earn a base salary of seven hundred fifty thousand, and a signing bonus of three hundred fifty thousand. so 1.1 million dollars a year with a four-year contract for 4.2 million um a seventh round quarterback Max, Max Duggan was drafted by the Chargers. He made the Packers squad. That's $216,000. So there's a big difference between being drafted and staying on a roster and then making a practice squad. Um, and so you could be making more as an NIL quarterback in college than you could be as a practice squad guy. Um, and I grabbed a receiver for Tyree purposes, the seventh round wide receiver. Dallas Cowboys drafted Jalen Brooks. He's making it $832,000 uh, as a rookie. Um, I think what's often ignored in this conversation when we're comparing dollars that you could make as a as a rookie in the NFL versus what you could be making as as a last, in one more year in the college is that you're making progress in your career at the NFL. You are earning trust from the coaching staff and the organization that you're at, and that matters more than what you do in college. I think there's different there's some examples that can, can transcend that where like if you didn't have a great college career, but if you've been a great college player. Um, you need to start making progress with those coaches that, that are going to dictate where your career goes from there and the general managers. And so you need to develop in those systems. So I think, I think too, too often that's sort of discounted. And if we can't just compare the set, the salary figures, and that is the only difference between being an NFL player uh, and a college player. And heck, I mean, uh, what, what's the, what's the health insurance situation as a, as a uh an NFL player versus a college player i think there's lots of differences and 
you can still make marketing money as a rookie in the NFL too. Like the NIL opportunities are still there. It might be look different, but like that doesn't mean Clayton Toon can't make a, do a commercial for a local uh, tire company or something, you know? So like, I think there's uh, a lot of things that can still happen at the NFL level. So it's not a one-to-one comparison. All right. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at enforcers 2117. Do you think Mike Elko getting the A&M job helps Notre Dame because they know what to prepare for since they played Duke this year? And do you think Riley Leonard follows him to A&M? Also, do you think Chris Tyree wants to be a running back again since he hit the portal? Okay, let's do the Mike Elko thing first. I, I don't think it really is an advantage. I mean, he's going to have different personnel. They have a whole offseason to prepare. They're likely going to have some different staff members. And Mike Elko is going to fit his systems around the players and not force a system on the players. So I don't know that you get a any kind of advantage there. As far as Riley Leonard falling to him to Texas A&M, I guess, I mean, he's better than the Texas A&M quarterbacks. Uh, he'd have to put up with Carter Carl, so that might be dissuade him. I think he'll have probably better opportunities elsewhere. And then I'll let you answer that and we'll answer. Yeah, Chris. I mean, Connor Wegman is the guy that had a bright future at A&M, but he got hurt this past season. So I don't know that, Riley Leonard would come in there as like the unquestioned guy, or I don't know if, if A&M would rather have Riley Leonard than Connor Wegman. So I, I don't know that, that that's a shoe. That's a lock there. Um, I would. Uh, all right. Well, that we will see what the, the offensive coordinator <laughs> and Mike Elko believe. Um, I, I don't think, uh, I do think it helps Notre Dame to have familiarity with Mike Elko, but um I think the offense is going to be the 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 key to figuring out what what that what Texas A&M is going to be like and who will be the offensive coordinator there. Um, as for Chris Tyree, um, I don't think that's Chris Tyree's wish. Um, what do you think, Eric? Um, give me the question again. I'm sorry, I was checking on some breaking news. Do you think Chris Tyree also wants to be a running back again since he hit the portal? I, I don't think that's his primary. I think he wants to be a feature player who gets a lot of reps. He embraced receiver. I think he could go either way if somebody said, hey, we're going to make you a running back, but we're going to throw the ball to you a lot. I think he would be fine with that as well. But, you know, had he stayed, he would be fighting for reps with Great House, who's going to be ascending, Faison, who's going to be ascending, and Saldate, who's a guy with, elite speed as well so i i just don't think he was going to be a full-time player at notre dame if he stayed yeah i i i tend to agree that it's related to his potential role next year in terms of the amount of opportunities as a receiver um versus being a wide receiver versus a running back i, I just think he showed enough promise as a wide receiver in one season that it's worth sort of seeing that out and i don't he doesn't seem like an NFL running back to me. I, I've always been a little bit of a Chris Tyree questioner um, and, and being a guy that just, I don't think he had the build um, and the size to be a running back. And I don't think he held up well enough as a running back to do that. So I think that would be a mistake if Chris Tyree goes somewhere to become a running back. I think he has a better potential future as a wide receiver. All right. Last question is more of a joke one from Pat from Texas at L big Padre. Good evening, sir. Pat here, longtime reader, first-time caller. ND might face LSU in a bowl game, but we know they're facing AM next year. 
in my Stephen A. Smith voice, would you rather be stuck on a desert island with the Aggie Yell leaders or a hungry Brian Kelly? Easily the hungry Brian Kelly. The Aggie Yell leaders, I don't have any confidence that they could help me build a boat to escape the island. I think Brian Kelly would be pretty organized. We'd work well together. He's funny. And we'd find some coconuts to make coconut cream pie out of and all the other things that they did on Gilligan's Island, like telephones and stuff like that, that they made coconuts from. Yeah, I I don't know that I'd want to be in a room with Do you Aggie even know Yell. what Gilligan's Island is. Tyler? I know what it is. I don't know that I've ever watched an episode. And I, I I could I could recognize the characters and the tune. Um, but uh other than that, I, I couldn't tell you many storylines from Gilligan's Island. Uh but I don't know that I want to be in a room with Aggie Yell leaders for more than an hour. So I can't imagine one being stuck on a desert island with those guys. I guess the one advantage maybe I know it was a tradition that no longer exists, but they used to make uh, bonfires, uh, the Aggie Yell leaders. So maybe they would have some fire making skills that would be of, of some use on a deserted island. But um, I think I would opt with a, a hungry Brian Kelly as well. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review. And share our podcast feed with someone who has already had to scrape snow off their car this month, like we have here in Indiana. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. Our Football Never Sleeps from YouTube will be in the podcast feed later this week. And we will continue to record Football Never Sleeps and our Inside Indie Sports podcast on a weekly basis throughout the month as things will get Keep us busy. There's plenty of things to monitor every day this time of year, so stick with InsideIndieSports.com for your Notre Dame coverage needs.